Number one, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister will, be, will know that yesterday was World Mental Health Day, and mental health problems affect one in four people, but only one pound out of every eight pounds in CCG budgets is spent on mental health services. My own CCG, Newcastle Gateshead, are set to cut their budget by a further 1.1% next year, bringing their total spend to less than 10% of their entire budget. If parity of esteem for mental health is to be achieved, this government will have to match their words with more strong and stable and ring-fenced funding. With these cuts and demands increasing, when will the Prime Minister end the talking, promise to increase and ring-fence funding for mental health and special psychological services? The, the Honourable Gentleman is right about the importance that we should be attaching to the issue of mental health. And giving that parity of esteem, I believe, is an important step that this Government has taken. But we are also doing much more in the area of mental health. And in fact, overall, more money is going into mental health. And we are seeing more people in the NHS being uh, able to access talking therapies and have treatment for their mental ill health. But what we also need to do is to look at this issue more widely, which is precisely why I have set up a scheme so that we will see in, uh, staff being trained in schools to be able to have better awareness of mental health problems, to be able to work, know how to deal with those individuals in those, men, in those schools who are suffering from mental health. There is more for us to do, but this government is putting more money in and is taking more action on mental health than has been taken by any government before. Mr Robert Neal. The Prime Minister will know that financial and professional services are the UK's largest source of tax revenue and our largest driver of trade surpluses. Yesterday I met representatives of that sector and they wanted to pass on to me, me to pass on to the Prime Minister their warm support for the pragmatic and sensible arrangement she has made to ensure the critical legal and contractual continuity that that sector needs, that is vital to them, as we leave the European Union. Uh, as well as recognising that, will she perhaps build on that positive approach by considering issuing a white paper on our future vision uh, for trade in services in the same way as we have for trade in other sectors? My, uh, my honourable friend does raise an important point, and he's right that we need to build that bridge from our existing partnership to our future partnership to allow time for practical adjustments to be made. That's exactly what we're doing in talking about the implementation period. Uh, that's why I set it out in my speech in Florence, together with our vision for our future partnership. And as I'm sure my honourable friend will know, we did publish a white paper on our future trade policy uh, earlier this week, and we will continue to publish papers in the coming months. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I hope the whole House will join me in paying tribute to the late Rodney Bickerstaff, the former General Secretary of Unison, who died last week. He'll be remembered for his warmth and esteem he was held throughout the Labour movement and throughout the community. But more than that, Mr Speaker, almost more than anyone else, he made sure that the national minimum wage happened in this country and millions of workers are better off for the great work that Rodney did during his life. Can we say thank you, Rodney, for everything you did in your life? Uh, Mr Speaker, the rollout of universal credit is already causing debt, poverty and homelessness. Does the Prime Minister accept it would be irresponsible to press on regardless? 
First of all, of course, we offer our condolences to Rodney Bickerstaff's friend and family uh, on, his, uh, on his death. Uh, he and I would uh, probably never have agreed on very much in, in uh, politics, but obviously... But obviously, uh, the role that he played, he played with commitment and dedication through his life. The Right Honourable Gentleman has asked me about universal credit. I think perhaps it is worth us uh, recognising why it is that we brought universal credit into place in the first place. What we want is a welfare system that provides a safety net for those who need it, that helps people to get into the workplace, helps people to earn more and to provide for themselves and their families. The system that we inherited from Labour did not do that. It was far too complicated, there were too many different sorts of payments, and crucially, crucially, those who earned more, too many of those who earned more, found themselves with less money in their pockets. For too many people under Labour, it were, they were better off in benefit, on benefits. That is not the system that we want. What we want is universal credit, which is simpler, more straightforward, and makes sure that work always pays. Uh, Mr Speaker, I wonder which planet the Prime Minister is on. The, uh, Mr Speaker, the Citizens Advice Bureau describes universal credit as, and I quote, a disaster waiting to happen. Based on assisting tens of thousands of claimants with debt, they've made that conclusion. Housing associations report an increase of up to 50% in eviction of tenants with rent arrears due to universal credit. Can't the Prime Minister and the DWP wake up to reality and halt this process? As I've explained, we have very good reasons for changing the system. Yes, the DWP has been... We have been listening to the concerns that have been raised uh, in relation to the way in which universal credit has operated. Changes have been made, performance has increased. For example, early, at the beginning of this year, only 55% of people were getting their first payment on time. Now that is over 80%. Of course, there is more for us to do. Of course, there is more for us to do, and that's why the Secretary of State and the Department for Work and Pensions continue to monitor this and continue to ensure that performance increases. But underlying this is a need to make sure that we have a system that makes sure that work pays and that people are not better off on benefits. Jeremy Corbyn! Mr Speaker, the Halton Housing Trust reports a 100% year-on-year increase in the number of evictions. Half of all council tenants on universal credit are at least a month in arrears in their rents. This weekend, the former Prime Minister, Sir John Major, described universal credit, and I quote, as operationally messy, socially unfair and unforgiving. He's right, isn't he? It's years behind schedule. It's forcing people to food banks, driving up evictions, leaving families in debt. Can't the Prime Minister see it? If the former Prime Minister can understand it, why can't this one? Well, I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, in fact, research shows that after four months, the number of people on universal credit in arrears, rent arrears, had fallen by a third. But... I have, um, 
as I've just as I've just said in my previous answer to the right honourable gentleman, of course we recognise that there have been some issues to address in in the uh, rolling out of this uh, particular credit. Uh, benefit. That is why we have been taking our time in doing it. The underlying reason for moving to universal credit is still the right one. We see more people getting into work on universal credit than on job seekers' allowance. And there, are, uh, there is the possibility in place for those people who are not in a position to be able to wait for their first payment. There are, they are in need. If they are in need, they are able to ask for an advance. And the number of people getting an advance has increased. Jeremy Corbyn recognises there are problems with it. The IPPR and the Child Poverty Action Group estimate it's going to put another 200,000 children into poverty. Last month, apparently a dozen Conservative MPs wrote to the Work and Pension Secretary calling for a pause. Perhaps they should have listened to people like Georgina, who contacted me this week, and I quote, I quote from Georgina, who says this, all summer we were left with no money to survive, as it just stopped abruptly. We would have lost everything if it weren't for my family. Others cannot rely on family and are facing eviction. I urge the Prime Minister, show some leadership, pause universal credit and stop driving up poverty, debt and homelessness, because that is what it does. First of all, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, I'd be happy to look at, at the case of Georgina if, he, Georgina, if he would like to send me those particular details. As I have just said, and once again, I did actually refer to this in my previous answer, had the Right Honourable Gentleman listened to it, it is possible for those who are in need to get advance payments. The number of those getting advance payments has increased from 35% to 50%, uh, the majority, just over 50%. So we are seeing the system being improved and performance improving. But let's just think about the Labour Party's record on this whole issue of welfare. Under the Labour Party, under the Labour Party, 1.4 million people spent most of the last decade trapped on out-of-work benefits. Under the Labour Party, the number of households where no, under the Labour order. Prime Minister's response must be heard. Prime Minister. Under the Labour government, the number of households where no member had ever worked nearly doubled. The welfare bill went up by 60% in real terms, which cost every household an extra £3,000 a year. That's not the way to run a system. That's the way to have a system that is failing ordinary working people. Mr Speaker, the last Labour government lifted a million children out of poverty. <laughs> Gloucester City Homes, Mr Speaker, has evicted one in eight of all of its tenants because of universal credit. The Prime Minister talks about helping the poorest, but the reality is a very, very different story. Not only are people being driven into poverty, but absurdly, Mr Speaker, the universal credit helpline costs claimants 55 pence per minute for the privilege of trying to get someone to help them claim what they believe they're entitled to. Will the Prime Minister today show some humanity, intervene and make at least the helpline free? 
uh, I say to the right honourable gentleman, I've made very clear that we continue to look at how we're mon- uh, dealing with this and ensuring that we get this system out in a way that is actually working for people and the performance is increasing and it is working because more people are getting into work on universal credit than are, were on job seekers allowance. But, and I do want people to be able to find work. I want people to be able to get better jobs, to be able to earn more, to be able to get on without government support. That's why it's so important that we create, help businesses to create jobs. And perhaps when he stands up, he'd like to welcome the fact that three million more jobs have been created due to a strong economy under a government. Corbyn. Mr Speaker, sadly, universal credit is only one of a string of failures of this government. Everywhere you look, it's a government in chaos. On the most important issues facing this country, it's a shambles. Brexit negotiations made no progress. Bombardier and other workers facing redundancy. Most working people worse off. Young people pushed into record levels of debt. A million elderly people not getting essential care. Our NHS at breaking point. Mr Speaker, this government is more interested in fighting amongst themselves than in solving these problems. Mr Speaker, isn't it the case isn't it, the, isn't it the case, Mr Speaker, that if the Prime Minister can't lead, she should leave? Tell the right honourable gentleman what the record of this government is. A deficit down by over two-thirds. Three million, three million more people in jobs. 1.8 million more children in good or outstanding schools. More people visiting A&E. More people getting operations than ever before of funding into the NHS, record levels of funding, record levels of funding in the NHS, record levels of funding into our schools. But what did we see about the Labour Party? What did we see about the Labour Party from their conference? Well, what we saw... Members are becoming very, very overexcited. The response will be heard. Prime Minister. What did we hear from Labour's conference? From Labour's conference. Don't want to. What happened at Labour's conference? First of all, first of all, shelter, shelter said that the Labour Party's housing policy would end up harming people on low incomes. Labour's flagship Haringey Council rejected another of their housing policies. The Equalities and Human Rights Commission said Labour needs to establish that it is not a racist party. And the Labour leader of Brighton Council threatened to ban Labour conferences because of freely expressed anti-Semitism. And that, that 
was all before the Shadow Chancellor admitted a Labour government would bring a run on the pound and ordinary working people would pay the price. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I fear the more won't be for me. <laughs> I'm afraid I must return to the subject of universal credit, but, <laughs> but perhaps the difference on this side of the house and that side of the house is we believe of the transformative properties of it and we want it to work. And work it will, but we have to get it right. And I thank the Secretary of State on Monday for promising to advertise more widely that advances were available to claimants. But there are many of us on this side of the house that feel that more people taking those advances must surely mean that the inbuilt six-week wait just doesn't work. Yeah. My question is to the Prime Minister, would she please consider meeting with me so I can explain to her why if we reduce that six-week wait, we will do a better job of supporting those just about managing families who are struggling to make ends meet and have no savings to cover them over that period. My honourable friend makes the important point about the fundamental benefits of universal credit, but she's right, of course, and that's why, as I said, the DWP is continuing to look at the performance and, and uh, how this actually uh, how it's operating. I'm happy to meet with my honourable friend to look at this issue. We recognise she's mentioned the advance payments. Of course, the, uh, as she says, it is important that those who need those advance payments are aware of that. And that's why it's not just about advertising, but actually making sure that job centre staff are, re are trained and they're being retrained to ensure they're aware of uh, what they can do to help people. And in terms of the advance payments, they can be with people within five days or in an emergency on the very same day. But I'm happy to meet to discuss with my honourable friend. Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. If there was another EU referendum now, I know I would vote to remain. Why hasn't the Prime Minister been straightforward about how she would vote? Yeah. Been, uh, there is no second referendum. Voted, and we will be leaving the European Union in March 2019. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister can't answer a simple question. I'm quite happy to wait to the furore. The reason the Prime Minister can't answer a simple question is because she's hamstrung by the parliamentary majority and a divided party of right-wing Brexiteers. Mr Speaker, this morning, Chancellor... Oh, order! 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 Mr Kerr, we're not having any pranksters here. Mr Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning, Chancellor Philip Hammond admitted a cloud of uncertainty is hanging over the UK economy. The SNP is the only party in this House which is united on this issue. We know that crashing out of the single market in the Customs Union will cost 80,000 jobs in Scotland and £2,000 per person. Now is the time for leadership. Will the Prime Minister come off the feds? and recognise if we're to save this economy, we need to stay in the single market and the customs union. Now is the time for the SNP leadership to accept that to save jobs in Scotland, they need Scotland to remain part of the United Kingdom. Mark Menzies! 
Speaker, following yesterday's announcement of almost 2,000 job losses at BAE Systems, many hundreds of which are at Walton in my constituency, where very dedicated and highly skilled people work, can the Prime Minister assure me that she will continue to ensure that her, she and her government does everything that she can to support export orders in Saudi Arabia and Qatar, but also to support those dedicated workers, find other alternative employment and support the wider Lancashire economy? My, my honourable friend is absolutely right. This is obviously a very worrying time for workers at the AE systems, including obviously those at Wharton in his constituency. And he raises the two issues. I can reassure him that the Department for Work and Pensions will make sure that they work with people and ensure they have all the support they need to look for new jobs. That will include the rapid response service, which will help with CVs, with uh, training and information about benefits. But we will also continue to promote our world-leading defence industry right across the globe, so companies like the AE systems can secure contracts for you UK-made equipment. Just last month, my right honourable friend, the Defence Secretary, signed a statement of intent with Qatar, committing the country to the purchase of 24 typhoons and six hawks from BAE. We will continue to promote these first-class products of, uh, of first-class manufacturing, such as in my honourable friend's constituency, uh, and we will also make sure that support is given to those who do lose their jobs. When Russell Moyle. Uh, Prime Minister, um, last week uh, you announced uh, that you would fund 25,000 extra socially rented homes over five years. The waiting list in Brighton is already that, and along with Brighton, my other local authority, Lewis District, is building and wanting to build more council houses. But your policy won't help them because, because they are not limited by the open market, but they are by the government's arbitrary cap on borrowing and financing against housing stock. Will she agree with me, the Conservative-led Lewis District, Labour-led Brighton, that the cap on the HRA must be lifted to get councils building for Britain again? Do you just point out to the Honourable Gentleman, I've made no announcement or any policy on this matter. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, what the Honourable Gentleman is referring to is the announcement that we're putting £2 billion pounds extra into uh, our successful affordable housing programme. That brings it to over £9 billion dedicated entirely to creating affordable homes. For every pound the government puts in, housing associations raise a further £6. That means thousands more families getting the homes that they, can, uh, that they need and that they can afford every single year over the next five years. This is a good announcement from the government. It means more people getting the homes that they need, and I would have thought he should welcome it. Yeah. David T.C. David. Mr. Speaker, in my own constituency of Monmouth, children as young as 12 have been labelled as transgender and prescribed potentially life-altering sex change drugs. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the law needs to be tightened to prevent this potential mistreatment of vulnerable young people? Yeah. My, my honourable friend raises what is obviously a very sensitive issue. And as he will be aware, obviously, health is a devolved matter in, uh, in Wales. In England, the NHS has very strict guidelines regarding the prescriptions of these sorts of medications to young people. They can only be prescribed with the agreement of a specialist team after a careful assessment of the individual, and generally only for those patients who are 15 or older. But I recognise the concern that my honourable friend has raised. Karen Buck. Mr Speaker, in her radio interview yesterday, the Prime Minister was pressed three times on what would be the position of EU nationals in the event of no deal. Yep. She was unable to answer, suggesting this was a technical issue. But people do not live technical lives. They live in relationships, in jobs and in their children's schools. 
With the clock ticking and the possibility of, uh, of no deal Brexit looming nearer, can she reassure the 10,000 plus of my constituents who are EU residents exactly what their rights will be if there is no deal? Yeah. Can I say, first of all, I, I want to re-emphasise, as I've said before in this House, that we value the contribution that EU citizens have made in this country and we want them to stay. That's why we made citizens' rights one of the key issues, one of the early issues that is being discussed in the negotiations that are currently taking place. Of course, if there is a no deal, and we are working to ensure we get a good deal, if there is no deal, then obviously we will have to have arrangements with other member states about not just EU citizens here, but about UK citizens in those member States. But what we're working for is to get the best deal for the United Kingdom. On citizens' rights, we're very close to agreement. We want EU citizens to stay here in the UK because we value the contribution they're making. Mr Ian Duncan-Smith. Mr Speaker, I said on Monday my right honourable friend was very clear about uh, her negotiations that it remains the government's priority to get a very good free trade arrangement before we leave with our European friends and partners. She also made it clear that alongside that we would make plans and arrangements, all necessary arrangements, to depart under World Trade Organization terms should no such agreement be available. Could she confirm then that all monies necessary will be allocated as and when required to this project? I'm, I'm very happy to give my right honourable friend that confirmation. We are preparing for every eventuality. Uh, we are committing uh, money to prepare for Brexit, including a no-deal scenario. And it might be helpful, Mr Speaker, if I update the House. The Treasury has committed over £250 million of new money to departments like DEFRA, Home Office, HMRC and DFT in this financial year for Brexit preparations. And in some cases, departments will need to spend money before the relevant legislation has gone through the House. And I can tell the House that the Treasury will write to departments and to the Public Accounts Committee explaining this process shortly. So, where money needs to be spent, it will be spent. Snell, thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, my constituent, Mr. Geoffrey Elwell, was transitioned from DLA to PIP in October 2016. He previously had the higher rate mobility and the standard rate for care. His PIP assessment gave him zero points. In January 17, January 2017, he appealed that decision. Six months later, on the 21st of June, he passed away, still without his appeal being heard. The appeal that took place two days later, after his death, awarded him posthumously higher rate for both elements and backdated it to January. Could I ask the Prime Minister, therefore, what message she would like me to take back to Geoffrey's partner, Carol, about the way that this government treated Geoffrey at the time when he needed help, compassion and support most? The message, the message that I would like the Honourable Gentleman to take back to his constituents' partner is that we offer, obviously, our condolences at the death of, at the death of her partner. We are working to ensure that there is a greater consistency in the uh, judgments that were originally given on those PIP assessments. We've introduced PIP in order to try to, in order to ensure that we are able to focus uh, the payments on those who are most vulnerable. I completely understand how she feels about the, about the position that is here. As I say, we offer her our deepest condolences. Maggie through. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, 
HS2 Limited continues to fail my constituents living along the line of route for HS2, with some being offered tens of thousands of pounds less than the true value of their homes. Would the Prime Minister now personally intervene to ensure that my residents living in the affected areas of Erewash do not lose out as a result of this major national infrastructure project? Well, my, my honourable friend has raised an important point, and it's right that she is speaking up on behalf of her constituents. And I know that the Department for Transport is looking carefully at these issues, and that my honourable friend, the Rail Minister, is determined to see that fair and comprehensive compensation for those directly affected by the route, and that that is paid. And it will be paid as if HS2 didn't exist, plus the 10% and reasonable moving costs. Uh, we're as committed as ever to infrastructure investment. We're investing in infrastructure, but it's important with a major infrastructure change, such as HS2, that we do ensure that those compensation payments for people are being paid properly. As I say, my honourable friend, the Rail Minister, is uh, focusing on this issue. Heidi Alexander. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This week, the public have witnessed the most extraordinary spectacle of the Prime Minister ramping up the no-deal rhetoric on Brexit and backtracking on her commitment to stay in the single market and customs union for transition, all because she's afraid of the most right-wing, rabid elements in her own party. When, when prices are going up in our shops, when the country's credit rating has been cut, and when businesses are actively considering moving jobs overseas, don't the British people deserve better than a Prime Minister simply running scared? Honourable lady could not be more wrong. First of all, first of all, we're not ramping up a no-deal scenario. We are actively working, actively working with the negotiations with the European Union to ensure that we set out we get a good deal, the right deal for Britain, for a brighter future for this country, which is what I believe we can and will achieve. It's what I set out in my Florence speech. I recommend the speech to the Honourable Lady. And on the second point, I made very clear, and perhaps I need just to explain it again to members of the Opposition. When we leave the European Union in March 2019, we will cease to be full members of the single market and the customs union. That will happen because you cannot be full members of the single market and the customs union without accepting all four pillars, free movement, uh, continued uh, in perpetuity ECJ jurisdiction. During the implementation period, we will be looking to get an agreement that we can operate on much the same basis as we operate at the moment, uh, under the same rules and regulations. But that will not be the same as full membership of the customs union and the single market. Mr. Gary Streeter. Does my right honourable friend agree that the Royal Marines, supported by a specialist amphibious fleet, have served our country with great distinction for many, many years? Does she share my concern that one of the proposals currently being considered by the Royal Navy is to downsize the amphibious fleet? In an uncertain world, is this not both short-sighted and dangerous, and will she please intervene? Can I 
I say to my honourable friend, right honourable friend, first of all, that I absolutely agree uh, that we can commend and applaud the contribution that the Royal Marines and our amphibious fleet have made to the defence of this country and indeed the defence of others. Um, it is absolutely right that as we look at how threats are changing, we look at how we should best spend the rising defence budget to support our national security. Um, we, will, we have committed to spending 2% of GDP on defence every year of this Parliament. We are spending £178 billion over the time between 2016 and 2026 on equipment for our armed forces. Naturally, we don't always discuss the specific operational details, but if I might just say to my right honourable friend, I understand that the claims he's uh, referred to are pure speculation at this stage. Kerry McCarthy. In the past 18 months, two students from St Brendan's Sixth Form College in my constituency, Izzy Gentry and George Zagrafu, tragically died from meningitis B. And only this week we heard reports of the death from suspected meningitis of another Bristol pupil from Orchard School too. The free vaccinations for babies introduced two years ago are of course very welcome, but came far too late to save Izzy and George. So will the Prime Minister do more to raise awareness of meningitis and extend free vaccinations to today's teenagers, which is the group that after babies is most at risk? First, first of all, of course, we send our deep condolences to the families and friends of all those students in uh, the Honourable Lady's constituency who have died as a result of, of uh, contracting meningitis. And I I think the point she raises about wearing, uh, raising awareness of meningitis is a very valuable one and it is one that we do need to continue to do. I think very often you know, decisions are taken by governments such as on the, uh, the vaccination uh, that uh, is already in place uh, and it's very easy to think that, that that's a job done but actually we need to continue to look to see how we can ensure that we don't see these deaths from meningitis in the future. Wendy Morton. Mr Speaker, I was shocked the other week to hear the Shadow Chancellor predicting a run on the pound. Oh, if yeah. Labour took office, that means that my constituents an increase in their household bills and in their weekly shopping. Does the right honourable friend agree with me that the biggest risk to this country would be letting the Shadow Chancellor into the well, I absolutely agree with my honourable friend, and she's absolutely right. A run on the pound would mean higher prices, it would mean life much more difficult. Actually, it would mean job losses, businesses leaving this country. It would mean that people would be poorer. And uh, the one thing we know we must absolutely do is make sure that the Shadow Chancellor doesn't get anywhere near the Treasury. And the right honourable gentleman, the Leader of the Opposition, asked me what planet I was on earlier. Well, we all know what planet he and his Shadow Chancellor are on. It's planet Venezuela. Well, it's to come, Michael. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, is it the Prime Minister's intention... Is it the Prime Minister's intention that the United Kingdom should remain part of the common fisheries policy during any transitional period after we have left the European Union? We, when we leave the European Union, we will be leaving the common fisheries policy. As part of the uh, agreement that we need to uh, enter into for the implementation period, obviously this and other issues will be part of uh, uh, that agreement. But when we leave the European Union, we will leave the common fisheries policy. Mr Peter Bone. Th thank you, um, Mr Speaker. It has been assumed that triggering Article 50 means that on the 29th of March 2019 we all come out of the EU if there is not an agreement. 
But is it not the case that the, the negotiations can be extended if this government and the EU agree to extend the negotiations? <laughs> Would the Prime Minister give the House the assurance that under no circumstances will the negotiations be extended? My, um, my honourable friend is, is accurate in his interpretation of the treaty, which does allow for that extension of negotiations. I've been very clear. We want those negotiations to end by we want not just the negotiations to end, we want to have an agreement on the future relationship and our withdrawal by the March 2019, and we will leave the EU on March 2019. Chris Elmore. Yeah. Mr Speaker, uh, the Prime Minister will be aware that last month Jaguar Land Rover announced that they were ending their contract early, putting 640 jobs at risk. The Prime Minister has scrapped rail electrification. She's flip-flopping on delivering the Tidal Lagoon. So will she now step up, work with Welsh Government, Ford and the trade unions, help save the jobs and help ensure a positive future for the South Wales economy? To the honourable gentleman, of course, we want to work to see a positive future for the South Wales economy. That's what the United Kingdom government is doing across the whole of the United Kingdom, working for that brighter and more positive future. And on the tidal lagoon, we will publish our uh, response to the Hendry Review in due course. Will Quince, Mr. Speaker, I recently visited the Rohingya refugee camps in Bangladesh, and it was truly harrowing. And it can only be described as a humanitarian disaster. I'm immensely proud of the work that the UK government is doing via UK aid. But can I ask my right honourable friend what pressure she can put on the Myanmar government to end the persecution so the Rohingya people can go home? Well, my honourable friend raises a very important point, and we remain deeply concerned by what is happening to the uh, Rohingya. We know there are now over 500,000 refugees in Bangladesh. It's a major humanitarian crisis. Uh, We have been um, providing support uh, through our international development, through our aid. Uh, We provided money to the Red Cross in Burma uh, and providing Uh, bilateral donations to deal with the refugees, to support the refugees who have crossed into Bangladesh. We've raised this three times at the UN Security Council. There's been a clear message delivered from the international community that the Burmese authorities must stop the violence, allow safe return of refugees and allow full humanitarian access. And uh, I can um, say to my honourable friend that uh, in what we have also done is suspended any practical defence engagement that we had with Burma because of our concerns. Jim McMahon. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I make no apologies for this being a similar question to that uh, given by the member for Bristol East. Leila Rose Ermaniki from Oldham was just six years old when she contracted meningitis and later died in hospital. There were failings by the Royal Oldham Hospital who failed to spot important signs of meningitis and those will be addressed. But fundamentally, Layla would be alive today had she been vaccinated uh, with a Men B vaccination. Will the Prime Minister meet with Layla's parents, Ricky and Kirsten, and campaigners to discuss expanding the meningitis B vaccination programme to cover all children? Yeah. Yeah. As, as, um The the, the Honourable Gentleman, of course, again raises a very serious case, and and, uh, I say our condolences obviously go to the family of of his constituent. And uh, uh, this is an issue where, as I said before, we do need to raise awareness. He raises the the question of the response that was given by medical professionals to this. Um, This is not just about individuals, about parents recognising what the symptoms might be. It's actually about ensuring that the healthcare professionals are identifying this as well. I will ensure, I will ensure 
I, I will ask the Health Secretary to meet with the Honourable Gentleman and uh, uh, people who are concerned about this issue uh, and hear from them directly about this concern in relation to the vaccinations. Antoinette Sandbach. Mr Speaker, on Monday at the start of Baby Loss Awareness Week, this Conservative Government launched uh, 11 pilot projects into a national um, bereavement care pathway. This groundbreaking pathway looks at support from parents who have lost a child starting from conception to the age of one. Can I ask the Prime Minister to congratulate the parents, the charities and the health professionals that have worked so hard to develop this project and to make sure that this is rolled out on a wider level once the lessons from the pilots have been learnt. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to join my honourable friend in uh, congratulating all those who have worked so hard on this issue, which of course um, brings such distress to, so sadly, to too many people, including, I know, members of this House. And I'm sure that everybody will want to join me in marking Baby Loss Awareness Week. Uh, there was, as I know, a debate yesterday, and I would pay tribute to those from across the House who spoke very movingly about their own experience. And I'm happy, as, as my honourable friend does, to welcome the launch of the pilot of the National Bereavement Care Pathway this week. Um, the Department of Health is also providing funding to SANS, the stillbirth and neonatal death charity, to work with other baby loss charities and royal colleges to improve the quality of bereavement care in the NHS. We do expect this to be rolled out nationally in October 2018. As my honourable friend says, it's important, I think, to do a pilot so that we can learn from that as we come to the national rollout. Vicky Foxcroft. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A woman came to my office fleeing domestic violence. We ran round every women's refuge in London and was unable to find her a place due to government budget cuts. What advice would the Prime Minister give to my constituents? Well, first of all, uh, I, I fully understand the concern that the Honourable Lady has about her constituent who is fleeing domestic violence. We don't. We. We don't want to see anybody in this country subjected to domestic violence and abuse. That is why the government actually has been putting more money into support refuges across the country. It's why we have ring-fenced money for domestic violence support across the country. It's why we've introduced new legislation. But we are also going to look at what more we can do uh, through a Domestic Violence Act to provide the support that is necessary to ensure that we deal with the perpetrators, that we provide support for survivors, um, but that we do what we should all want to do across this House, which is end domestic violence. Rattle Jair Wardener. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, may I commend my uh, right honourable friend for her pledge to build hundreds of new free schools? Will she agree with me that these are critical to drive up standards and, and increase parental choice? And isn't it true that, that we are committed to creating a school system that works for everyone while they want to hold everyone back? Well, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right. I think the free schools have performed a very important function in raising standards in education in this country. I'm pleased that we have so many more children now in good or outstanding schools. But free schools have done something else. I see this in my own constituency, where one of the free schools is specifically for children who are on the autistic spectrum. And this is very important. It's a service that wasn't available previously. Free schools have enabled that to happen. They are providing for people up and down this country, and we should welcome them. How Williams. Yeah. 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 
Vascular services in my constituency are to be moved to an as yet untested centre, whilst in Bangor we already have a facility with an international reputation. Does the Prime Minister share my concern that's due to bungling over health by the Labour government in Cardiff? Seriously ill Welsh patients will have to travel further and even like the late Irvon Williams have to move to live in England just to access proper treatment. The Honourable Gentleman raises an important point. I'm not obviously aware of the details of the particular services and, and the uh, transfer that he has referred to, but the point, overall point he makes, which is that people living in Wales are often seeing that they're getting a less good service from Labour government uh, NHS in Wales. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, this is... This is the case. As the Honourable Gentleman says, there are people who will travel from Wales to England to get the service that is available in the NHS in England. And the Labour government in Wales needs to take a hard look at what they're doing to the NHS in Wales. Order!